Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and I want to read verses 27 and 28. I'm going to be preaching on the subject, the final judgment. And in Hebrews 9, verse 27, we read, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind present, that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend, and upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed, that I might be your transparent instrument to convey everything you once said, nothing you don't want said. And I pray this word will be exactly what needs to be said, and that I will represent your word faithfully, truthfully, because I don't expect you to bless whatever is not true. And to the degree that what I say tonight is true, I ask you to put your seal upon it. And could it be, Lord, there's someone here in this very service, if he or she were to die right now, would be eternally lost. But this service could change one's destiny. And I pray that that will happen. That a life will be changed, transformed, never to be the same again. And may this bring great honor and glory to your name, this message, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been asking myself all day whether I have ever preached a sermon on the judgment before. I'm not sure that I have. Now, I would have touched on it. We were in Hebrews in Westminster Chapel for ten and a half years. That means that we went through chapter 9, verse 27, so I'm, I've touched on it. We also went through 1 and 2 Corinthians, and uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. I will have dealt with that. Uh, but to preach a sermon just on the judgment, I don't think I've ever done it before. And I've prepared this message for this day. And in verse 27 of Hebrews 9, we have two things. One is a fact. One is what I would call truth. The fact is something no one would deny. When he said, it is an appointed unto man once to die. That is a fact. But then he adds, but after death, the judgment. That I would call truth. That said, to a Christian, truth is fact. But the one thing that no one would deny here is first, everybody is going to die. Now, I would like to preach this to everyone here, and if you could, let it be just to you and no one else. 
I know the temptation is, I wonder what they're thinking, what she's thinking, so forth. But this is a word directly to you. And have you thought much about this? That you're going to die. A lot of people say, I just don't want to think about it. Uh, Woody Allen, the comedian, said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Which means he's afraid to die. But you see, Jesus took the sting out of death when he died on the cross. And so the Christian is the person who is not afraid to die. Uh, some of us are afraid of dying because of the thought of a long ordeal and pain. No one would look forward to that. But as for the moment of death, that nothing could be more thrilling for a Christian. My friend Arthur Blessett, a uh, uh, man who he believes was commissioned by God to carry a cross around the world. And uh, two weeks before he was to start his walk, around the world, uh, he was in hospital with an aneurysm in his brain. And uh, the doctor said to him, um, you can't do your walk. You see, in fact, you, you, you can't even move because the slightest thing will cause that brain to cause a stroke and you'll die instantly. Well, he said, circumstances don't change the commitment. So he started his walk on the 26th, I think it was 25th of December, 1969, I think is the right date. And then about 10 years later, he was in a hospital, and they checked, his, they gave him a brain scan. And when the doctor saw it, he didn't know about the aneurysm. It's still there. And uh, the doctor came in, was ashen face, and said, Sir, Mr. Blessed, don't even move. He says, because if you move, you will probably drop dead. And Arthur said, are you saying to me that at any minute I could see Jesus? Is that what you're saying to me? He said, well, I, they, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He said, glory to God. And he's been walking ever since. You see, for the Christian, for the Christian, death is to be welcomed. And you don't need to be afraid to die. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? That's the most important question that can be put to you. Some of you may know that uh, about 10 years ago, I was introduced to Yasser Arafat. And uh, what should have been a 15-minute visit went to an hour and 45 minutes uh, because I put to him this question. I said, Ra'is, uh, the big question you need to face is not whether you or the Israelis get Jerusalem but where will you be 100 years from now? You would have thought they would throw me out. But we bonded, and I was visiting five times and prayed with him, anointed him with oil. Let me ask you the question. Where will you be 100 years from now? So you know that you're going to die. But according to the Christian faith, after death is the judgment and that is what I'm talking about tonight. In John chapter 8, uh, Jesus put it like this. In, uh, sorry, John chapter 5, verse 28. He said, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. 
those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. This means that every person who has ever lived in the world will be raised from the dead. You say, I don't see how that can happen. The same God that said, let there be light, and there was light, will bring all of his creation, all those who have died. In fact, in John, uh, in, uh, John on the Isle of Patmos had a vision of the final judgment. And in Revelation chapter 20, John said, I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And he even says the sea gave up her dead. This means whether you had a burial, whether you were buried at sea or cremated, in one instant. In fact, Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, I show you a mystery in a moment in the twinkling of an eye that everybody will simultaneously be raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, he said it will happen in such a way that all will be aware that the God who's made the universe is in control and is going to have the last word. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Paul said that we, he's talking now about Christians, and I don't know how much Christians think about this, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. When I think of that verse, I'm reminded of an event in American history. You may have heard about it. You may not have. There were two great awakenings in American history. The first was in 1741 when Jonathan Edwards took his text from a verse in Deuteronomy that says their feet shall slide in due time. It was a message on eternal punishment. And uh, when it went to the press, the printer gave it the title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. As Jonathan Edwards spoke, the Holy Spirit came down on the place with such power that the people began to groan and moan. And Edwards, who was actually reading a manuscript, stopped and asked everybody to be quiet. And he urged them, please let me finish the sermon. But it didn't work. They groaned all the more as he spoke. And by the time he finished, people were holding on to their pews to keep from falling into hell. Men were sitting outside holding on to tree trunks. They thought they were going to slip into hell. Now, here's the point. That was the high watermark of the first great awakening. That word went all over New England in days. It came to England in weeks. And it's still talked about. It only happened once. The funny thing is, he preached the same sermon two weeks later, no effect at all. The one time that this effect was achieved was just to show what God could do with his power in just a moment. And it was a moment that changed American history. The second great awakening was in July 1802, 
when the beginning of camp meetings took place. This is when people came in their covered wagons from five states and gathered in a place in Bourbon County, Kentucky. And uh, they were there uh, to meet for fellowship, and it was the first of the camp meetings. One Sunday morning, a Methodist lay preacher stood on the top of a fallen tree and took, he te took his text from this verse, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body. 15,000 people were gathered. As he spoke, the thought of the judgment became so scary and awesome to the crowd that hundreds simultaneously fell to the ground prostrate on their faces. Nobody pushed them. Nobody was even praying for them. It was totally unexpected. But what happened was similar to what happened in 1741. God just owned the message, and for four days, there was never a moment when there were less than 500 people on the ground. They thought at first they were dead. They checked pulses. There was panic. And then after hours later, they would shout with great salvation assurance, and others would fall. It lasted for four days, all from this point that we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what's interesting, in the two awakenings, both were precipitated by a message that shows that we're going to have to stand before God, and there's a heaven and there is a hell. Now, this simple word is something that the church, speaking generally, has completely lost and lost sight of. Jesus said in the last days, the church would be asleep spiritually. And he gave the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. And then he appealed to something that all of his hearers would have known, the ancient Middle Eastern wedding. Now, the weddings in those days were different from our weddings today. They didn't get married in a synagogue or church, cathedral, or registry office. It was a celebration that lasted about seven days. The groom would come from his house to the house of the bride and get her and take her back to his house. And it was a great celebration. The bride had ten attendants, according to the parable. There were ten virgins that show purity because righteousness is imputed to us and we're seen as pure by faith in the blood of Christ. And five were wise, five were foolish. The point is that these were like bridesmaids and they were to be ready for the call. Jesus chose the parable of the ten virgins because of the way it was done in the ancient wedding. There was an announcement in advance of the coming of the bridegroom. And when that announcement came, everybody was expected to be ready. But it turned out that five of the uh, bridesmaids, uh, their lamps had gone out and they didn't have oil. The wise took oil with them. And, uh, but the cry came, the bridegroom is here. Go out to meet him. And instantly everybody was awakened. Now, the reason I'm preaching this message tonight, it goes back to 
what I preached, I think, 10 months ago here, uh, when I called attention to the fact that the cry at midnight was not actually at 12 o'clock midnight. It's a Greek word that means in the middle of the night. When the church would be in a deep sleep, there would be a shout that would wake up everybody. And I'm saying that in a short period of time, in my view, there will be a shout that will go right around the world that will wake up the church, precipitate the greatest revival outpouring of the Spirit that we've seen in history. I believe it so much and have for the last 10 years that I literally wake up every morning asking, could it be today? At a time when nobody is really expecting this, I think if you could interview most Christians, the best of them, and ask them under, if they were under a lie detector, do you really believe Jesus will come in your generation? Most of them would say, not really, because we're living in a time when there's no expectancy. What I'm saying is, at hand is this cry, go meet the bridegroom. And the reason it is so scary is because the second coming will be at hand, and that means judgment. In Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And throughout the Old Testament and into the New, there was one particular day that everybody expected. It was called the day of the Lord. The dreadful day of the Lord when everything would be put right in this sense. For the first time, there would be pure justice, a fair verdict. It would be a time when God would clear His name. And what we're told is that when this happens, it will be the vindication of Holy Scripture and of the person of Jesus Christ. This is the reason for the judgment. Now, it's going to take place. We're all going to be there. Every one of us will be there. We'll be alive, conscious. We will have different bodies, so you won't need to worry about food. You won't have to worry about having to go to the loo. You won't have to worry about sleep. Everybody will be there, everybody that ever lived. And if you say, well, if I'm lost, I will have a lot of company. True, but that will mean nothing to you. Because as St. Augustine put it, God loves every man as though there were no one else to love. So will you at the judgment be focused upon as though there were no one else and it will be God confronting you. Now, the purpose of the judgment will be primarily a vindication of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who came 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin. He's the God-man. He was God as though he were not man. He was man as though he were not God.
And at the beginning of his ministry, he made a stunning announcement. He said, I have come to fulfill the law. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones reckons it was the most stupendous statement Jesus ever made, that he was going to fulfill the law. Nobody had ever done it before, but he said he would do it. Three years later, on the cross, just before he breathed his last breath, he uttered the words, it's finished. That meant he accomplished what he came to do. It was mission accomplished. He had fulfilled the law perfectly. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And then, after 40 days, he ascended to heaven. Two men, angels, said, Why stand ye looking up into heaven? This same Jesus will come in like manner as you have seen him go. So what will happen is that Jesus Christ will be vindicated and God will see to it because in Hebrews 9.28 we read after death the judgment and then he adds he will come a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And one of the main features of the coming of Jesus will be judgment and will be a vindication of the person of Jesus himself. Paul said, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, we read these words, by myself I have sworn. This is God actually swearing an oath. I don't have time to go into detail about the importance of the oath, but I can tell you now, when God swears an oath, it is of gravest importance, and here's what he said. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked before me. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue will swear that in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. And so if you're here tonight and you haven't confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, this is what you will do. As a matter of fact, take the vilest person that you know and who hates God and hates the church. You can say of that person that he will one day say Jesus Christ is Lord. Adolf Hitler will be among those raised from the dead. And he will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Saddam Hussein will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Think of every evil person, all the Caesars 2,000 years ago. They will all say, Jesus Christ is Lord. You will say, oh, good, that means they're going to go to heaven. Wrong. You see, we do it now by faith, by hearing the word. They'll do it then because they have no choice, but it won't be by faith. But they'll have to get on their knees and confess that he's Lord. But it will not only be the vindication of Jesus Christ, but a vindication of the Bible. You need to know something. This book that I preach from, this is God's integrity put on the line. 
and he cares about his word. In fact, according to Psalm 138, verse 2, he's, he magnifies his word above his name. You can figure that out. He cares about his word. And he will one day vindicate this book. And the reason I refer to it as infallible is because it was written by the Holy Spirit. He used men. And you can see their literary eccentricities. You can tell where they're from. Their personalities. Forty men wrote 66 books of the Bible. But it will be a vindication of the Bible. And not only that, we're told what will be the basis of judgment. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but in Revelation chapter 20, he said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and he says, the books were opened. Now, I have a theory about the books. I hold that these books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason I hold to that is because in John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. In other words, the words of Jesus will be the measure of judgment. And you will have to face Holy Scripture. It will be a vindication of the Bible. It will be a vindication of God's pure justice. Now, Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet who asked a question that probably everyone here has asked. The, answer, the question is, why does God allow suffering? Let me ask you a question. Why did God create humankind knowing that we would all suffer? Does anybody know the answer to that? And the moment you witness about Jesus Christ to people today, nine out of ten will say, if there is a God, why does he allow evil and suffering? And you think of the tsunamis, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, uh, tornadoes, planes falling. And you think of all the injustice, the people suffering. If God is just and he's all-powerful and all-merciful, tell me, why does this happen? If you'll tell me, I'll become a Christian. That's what they say. Well, Habakkuk asked the same question. And he was a prophet of God. And he was saying, Lord, why do you allow evil? Why is it that you're turning against your own people and siding with the enemy? And God said, Habakkuk, I want you to go to a certain place, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to answer your question. And then when God shows up, God says, the vision that you're waiting for, Habakkuk, speaks of the end, and it won't lie. Habakkuk says, the end? What do you mean by the end? He means the end, the last day. Are you saying to me that you're not going to answer my question now? Why you allow evil? That's right. When are you going to answer? On the last day. Now, Habakkuk might have said, that's not good enough. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And Habakkuk had all these questions. 
And many here have these questions. Why does God allow evil and suffering? And you think, Lord, I don't understand it. And Habakkuk is told, you'll get your answer at the end. Many people say, I won't wait that long. But Habakkuk somehow came to terms with it. And that's when he uttered the words, the just shall live by his faithfulness. And he decided to wait to the end. Now, for those who won't wait to the end and say, I have to have the answer now, I'm sorry, but at the judgment, God will clear his name, and you will be among those who will weep and wail and gnash your teeth. How you missed it. There will be nothing to compare with the sorrow when you see the way God clears his name. Habakkuk said, I clear his name now. And do you know what? Even though he didn't get all of his prayers answered, sometimes I can't read this verse without coming to tears. He said, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and although the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, and though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And that's the position of the Christian. We vindicate him now. We say now he's just, he's holy, he's righteous. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I vindicate him now. And someday we'll be on the right side of the issue when God clears his name, you may say, well, God's got a lot to answer for. Well, one day he will clear his name. And when he does it, he will do it so well that the atheistic scientist will say, hmm, I hadn't thought of that. And yet it's hidden. You see, the way God could do it, just like that, what he does is give you and me a chance to believe his word. You see, once he clears his name, and you see the answer, and you believe it, you say, oh, good, I believe it now, but it won't be faith then. Faith to be faith is when you don't have the answer and still believe his word. And so it'll be a vindication of purest justice and of those who have trusted Jesus Christ. And so you may be in the minority today. It could be that your friends have laughed at you, your loved ones have made fun of you, people at work, wherever, say you're a fool to believe that, and you feel like you're all alone. But I want you to know, one day, you'll be on the right side, and it will be the most wonderful time to see the way God does it. Every Christian, because of their faith in Christ, will be vindicated for trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Another part of the judgment, don't have time to go into it now, but that is the judgment of all Christians. You see, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And so the kind of life that you've lived since coming to faith in Christ 
you'll be judged. And for those who have built their lives on the foundation with what Paul calls gold, silver, precious stone that cannot be consumed when the fire is revealed will receive a reward. Those who built their, uh, their superstructure with wood, hay, straw, when the fire is revealed, your works will be burnt up. Those who built the superstructure of gold, silver, precious stones will receive a reward or prize or crown. Uh, you may say, as I've heard actually people say to me, I don't care about a reward in heaven. I just want to get to heaven. I answer, you won't feel that way then. Because when you stand before God, it will be the most awesome moment. And John spoke of the possibility of having boldness in the day of judgment. He said we won't be ashamed. And this is the way God wants all of us. Because every one of us will be judged and you'll give an account. But there's another thing I want to say before I close. The principle of judgment. It will be when things are put right. Every valley would be exalted. Every mountain brought low. The rough places made straight. When God takes charge and now the truth about everything that you've wondered about will be revealed. You say, will I get my questions answered? Yes. We'll talk it over in the by and by. I'll ask the reason. He'll tell me why. But not all of it will be so much pleasure. Could I share with you my most unfavorite verse in the Bible? I have a verse that I wish weren't there. But I tell you the one that terrifies me. Jesus said, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. How does that make you feel? You okay about that, Amanda? You probably never speak careless words, do you? Listen. This is what he says. Because it will all be brought out. And even worse than that, Jesus said in Luke 8, 17, there's nothing that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known are brought out into the open because God's going to clear up everything. Let's say there's somebody here, and I happen to know there is somebody here tonight. Uh, I had a word with him between the services who has been maligned and spoken against and Christians turned against him. And he lost nearly everything because of a stand that he took. And he no doubt longs for vindication. The truth is, we're not promised vindication in this life. It would be wonderful if all of us could have vindication in this life. Uh, in the days that I was at Westminster Chapel, uh, which I sometimes uh, quote Charles Dickens, who said it was the best of times and the worst of times, uh, while I was there, we had some problems, and we had 12 deacons, and six of them actually turned against me and tried to put me out of the ministry. And those were very hard days. 
And I said, Lord, how could you let all this happen? And what are you going to do about these people that are saying these things about me and, and, and are going to ruin my reputation? I'm not going to have a ministry left. And I opened my Bible hoping for a word, and I got it. It's 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. I said, thank you, Lord. And then I heard an inner voice say, keep reading. <laughs> oh, dear. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. I said, oh, no, I have to wait till then. <laughs> yes. Don't expect to have your name cleared in this life. But what I'm saying is, this will be a day when all evil will be brought to light, everything revealed, and even the Apostle Paul. He went through a time when the very people, listen to this, that he led to Christ turned against him. I can think of nothing more painful. You lead a person to the Lord, and that person turns against you. Paul's converts turned against Paul because of the influence of some evil men that followed Paul all around the world speaking against his gospel. And here was Paul's response. He wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. He said, it's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will have received his praise from God. And so if there are those here tonight, you've been maligned. People have said evil things about you. And there's no way you can defend yourself. They may go on the Internet and say things about you, and your friends read it. And you would just long for people to know the truth. But you see, God withholds the truth to keep us humble and to see if we're willing to wait for this day, this judgment day, when he will put things right. And so think of the unpunished uh, people in this world. Uh, think of faulty verdicts that have been handed in courts. Uh, you've heard the express. The, the expression, so-and-so got away with murder. And you think, that'll never be, the, the truth will never be known. Wrong! At the judgment. And it will last who knows how long. Doesn't matter. You will have your say in court. If you want to say anything to God, you'll have the right to say anything. But remember, you'll be up against purest justice. Because he knows your motives, and he knows everything about you. And what he has done is to show that there was only one way to deal with sin. It's not through politics, not through the most brilliant politicians. It's not through science. It's not through getting the economy better. There's only one way, and that is because 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. And so, on that day, it will be a vindication of Jesus Christ. 
The truth regarding the character of God will be revealed. Every mouth will be stopped. And then you'll see that sin can only be punished one of two ways. I wonder if you know what those two ways are. If you are write down on a sheet of paper how you think sin could be punished. There's two ways. One, by the fires of hell. Two, by the blood of Jesus. The fires of hell and the blood of Jesus go together. I don't know why God created hell. If he left it up to me, I'd say, destroy hell. He has a reason. He will clear his name. You say, I don't know how God could do this or this or this. He will clear his name. And for those who will not accept his way of salvation, they will be punished. And the punishment is indescribable. And though it doesn't seem right to us, it will be right then and everybody will know it. Because the God of purest justice and holiness and love will reveal everything. About that verse that says, everything will be revealed. There's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. That's pretty awful. Nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. There is one exception. Those whose sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. You will be exempt from having that embarrassment in front of everybody because as far as the east is from the west, so far are our transgressions removed from us because the blood of Jesus Christ satisfies the justice of God. Question. When I put to you the question, Early in the sermon, if you stood before God, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? And I ask you this, you will stand before him. What if he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Imagine yourself confronted with this and don't think of the person next to you. Just you, 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 you. Write down in your mind what you would say to God. He says, why should I let you into my heaven? And, and no, there's only one answer. You better get it right or you have to go where you don't want to go. What would you say? Well, you said, R.T., you quoted that verse about those who do good. You know, I, I, I liked that. That's what Jesus did say, didn't he? He said... A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Oh, I think I'll make it. Is that your thinking? Let me ask you. What did you write down in your mind? Why God should let you in? Did you say, I've done my best? What if I were to tell you that doing your best is not good enough? You say, well, that's not fair. Well, there's a reason that it is fair. That's because 
if you did your very best, you couldn't come up to the standard God requires. He, require, he requires perfection in thought, word, deed, 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day. If you did your best, you couldn't do that. Well, then what can I do? Well, the good news, that's why Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. And when he uttered the words, it is finished, which is the English translation of a Greek word, tetelestai, which was a colloquial expression in the ancient marketplace. It meant paid in full. Those who transfer their trust from all the good they've tried to do to what Jesus did for them are the ones who were accepted. But what did you think in your mind? Go back to that moment. Where are you right now? You're having to come up with the right answer. Why God should let you in. Are you saying, I've done my best? I've been a good person. I joined the church. I was baptized. I brought up a Christian home. I'm sorry. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything. I've got one hope of going to heaven, the same hope you've got. That's the blood of Jesus. If that did not cross your mind to say that you're trusting the death of Jesus with respect to whoever you are, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But we can sort that out. And as for that verse where Jesus said, those who have done good will rise to live, let me tell you how to do good. You do good when you trust Jesus. Those who transfer trust from their good works to Jesus' death, that's doing good. You do good when you say, Jesus, the Son of God, I trust His death. That's doing good. They're the ones that will rise to live. All others rise to be condemned. If in your mind, your thought was, I've tried to be a good person. I think I would get in. I've tried to be good. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything. But we can sort that out right now. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. You don't need to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. God will hear you. Just repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? Did you? Let me ask you a question. Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? Why do you ask, R.T.? Because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you prayed that prayer, and you've never done this before, I'm going to ask you in 30 seconds from now to stand up right where you are. You say, in front of all these people, yes. Well, that's... that's, that's Hmm, scary. Jesus died publicly on the cross for you. 
the judgment will be out in the open. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. I'm not going to ask you to join this church. But your way of confessing him and to say, I prayed that prayer. I don't care who knows. Five, four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Some up in the balcony. Anybody else? You prayed the prayer, unashamed of it. Stand to your feet. All right, to show that you meant it, I want you to go to the nearest aisle. Come down to the front. I want to talk to you right here. You that are in the back, wherever you are, we'll wait just a moment. Come down to the front, and we will have a word with you. This is your moment when you show you're unashamed. If... If friends have come with you, they'll wait for you.